I'd like to begin today by talking about a website. Uh, maybe you've heard of it. It's called Will Robots Take My Job? Anyone ever hear of it? Yep. Okay, so I put my job title in there, Pastor, and uh, it turns out no one wants this job, so, <laughs> including artificial intelligence. Uh, so, but basically the fact is, is that in every industry right now, everything is changing. Our society is changing. The world is changing. The things that we thought were secure are not as secure as they were once in the past. And so uh, the industry, uh, the industries are changing. We see this everything from, from real estate to financial advisors. Sometimes there's robo-advisors, even accountants. Accounting. Uh, I don't know if you've ever used the service Upwork. Upwork is a service where you can hire third-party people to come in and do a specific function. And after they're finished, you're kind of done with them and you sign the contract and you pay them a little bit of money. But everywhere around the world, somebody can do, probably do your job cheaper, faster, and maybe a little bit better. And that is a race to the bottom, a race that nobody wants to win. And so we see this happening all over uh, the world. And one of the major thinkers and writers who's trying to address this issue is a guy by the name of Seth Godin. Seth Godin uh, has written a number of books. He's sort of like a philosopher slash business coach. And he's written this amazing book called Lynchpin. Lynchpin. And in this book, he describes what I just gave you, that scenario that the world is changing, the way things used to be, is in the past, and the future is going to be different. And if you see yourself as sort of like a cog in a wheel, you can just show up, do your job for a little bit, and then disappear. That is not what the future will have for you. You will be without work. You will be without a sense of purpose. And so what he's trying to do is teach the people who read his book that you need to become indispensable. What are the characteristics of an indispensable person in a world where the market and the industry is changing. Now, he uses the word uh, uh, linchpin, uh, which describes something that is indispensable when it comes to a wheel. Now, I have a real definition of linchpin that comes from the Webster's Dictionary, and it reads like this. It says, a locking pin inserted crosswise, you know, when they put that pin, so it says something. And then the second definition is one, one that serves to hold together parts or elements that exist or function as a unit. So what is a linchpin according to Seth Godin? So this is what he writes. I'm going to have a long quote. I want you to follow along on the screen. You don't have to read it out loud with me. That would be weird. But it reads like this. You weren't born to be a cog in the giant industrial machine. You were trained, you were trained to become a cog. There's an alternative available to you. Becoming a linchpin is a stepwise process, a path in which you develop the attributes that make you indispensable. You can train yourself to matter. The first step is the most difficult, the step where you acknowledge that this is a skill, and like all skills, you can and will get better at it. Every day, if you focus on the gifts, art, and connections that characterize the linchpin, you'll become a little more indispensable. Now, Seth Godin's view of a linchpin is not just found in this book. It's found in a number of business textbooks. It's found in a number of books around the world. But what we see is that it's also found in the kingdom of God. And when we look at the scriptures, when we look at the Bible, when we look at the life of Jesus, we see that we are invited to be linchpins. That we are invited to be indispensable parts of the world. We are invited to make a difference in our world. 
And the question becomes, will we become people who sit back and let the waves of the world just crash over us and just take whatever? Or will we stand up and become people who matter, people who are indispensable, people who do something for the world in a way that matters, the way, a way that's valuable? So we're starting a new series today. We think it'll go about a month or a little bit longer. I'm not sure. We have a lot of topics we could cover. And we've called the series, Picture This. And each week, we're going to be looking at a picture, some sort of a graph or some sort of a chart or some way of visually explaining what the Bible says to us about a particular subject. And so this particular Sunday, I will show you an axis. And if you follow along, if you receive one of our little handouts, you can follow along and fill it in. But I'll be showing you an axis, uh, X, Y axis line. And uh, I'll be getting into more of that in just a minute. But we've called today's talk, Jesus the Lynchpin. And we're going to take a look at some scripture. We're going to show how it lines up. So before we get started, that was my introduction. Uh, Before we get started on this three to four hour talk, we're going to... We're going to pray and invite God's presence one more time. Will you pray with me? God, we are so grateful for this new year, and I ask that you would teach us from your word. God, we want to not just be uh, people that don't really pay attention to what you're doing. We don't want to be dispensable in such a dispensable world. We want to be indispensable people, people who matter, people who make a difference. And so, God, I ask that you would be with me, that you would help me speak as I should, and that you would teach us all from your word today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we're going to be taking a look at uh, the book of Matthew. And in the book of Matthew... At the beginning of the book of Matthew, Jesus was doing miracles, and he was doing amazing things, and everyone was amazed by him. It was really amazing. And so after he had done a few amazing things in front of people, people wanted him to get up and speak. They're like, well, what is, your, what is this all about? What are you talking about? Get up and give us a speech. And that's where we get, in Matthew chapter 5, that's where we get the Sermon on the Mount. Now, the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' most famous sermon. It goes on for three chapters, and what he's doing is he is explaining what his kingdom is going to be like. Now, every four years or every eight years, there's a new president that comes into the United States. And uh, when he takes, he or she, well, up to this point, he uh, has taken over and takes the authority. There's an inaugural address. He, the the president will get up. He'll give a speech. Here's what this presidential uh, term is going to be like. And he explains in, the, in, the, in 2016, Trump explained, here's what I'm going to aim at. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's what this administration is about. In the same way, Jesus is getting up in front of all these people. And he's saying, this is what the kingdom that I have come to establish is going to be like. Now, unlike presidents who have come and gone, Jesus' inaugural address seems to have stood the test of time. Because here we are talking about it 2,000 years later. And here we're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 13. Here's what we read. Jesus is Jesus speaking. He says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, 
and give and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So, like I explained, this is Jesus giving an inaugural address. And Jesus was teaching this to primarily a Jewish audience. And what Jesus is saying here can be applied to Christians today. But you need to understand that his first audience, the people that were actually physically here when he first spoke this, were the Jewish people. And he was reminding the Jewish audience that they were supposed to be different from the rest of the world. That they were supposed to be a beacon of hope a beacon of excitement, a beacon of, a beacon of inspiration that would be different from the west of the world. They weren't supposed to be wrapped up in the squabbles and the factions and the infighting that they see other places around the world. And Jesus is reminding the Jewish people of who they've been called to be. But in the same way, he is inviting Jesus' followers, his future followers, to be different. And he uses two descriptions to kind of explain what this means. He uses salt and he uses light. Now, what is salt? Salt in the ancient world, it was a preservative. They didn't have refrigeration. I don't know if you knew that. They did not have refrigerators back in the first century. They had salt to preserve things. Also, we know salt is a way to season food, to make it delicious, unless you're my in-laws and they don't use any salt. Um, So it serves, it's true, it's true. It's, it's okay if it's true, right? You know, 2020, year of truth. I'm going to talk about my in-laws. Anyway, we can cut that out in editing, right, Tyler? Okay, good. All right, so it's a preservative, but it's also used for flavor. And then we have light. Light, when it shines, it pushes out darkness. There's no more darkness where there is light. Light wins over darkness. Um, we have this one bedroom that is always poorly lit. And we always need to get out the flashlights on our phones so we can see other things. You are the light of the world. You are supposed, where light is, you can see more. Unlike our home, like you can see things when you turn on the lights. We were to turn these lights off, you couldn't see me. You turn them back on, you can see me. Light does something that's necessary. And he's, he's saying to his followers, he's saying that our new kingdom, the kingdom that is being established, you are salt and you are light. You are designed to be important and show the world what is good. What is a, you're to be a beacon of hope for the world. So what does it actually look like to let your sh- light shine? What does it look like to be an actual preservative, to be a little salty in the best sense of the word? word, word. Uh, so what I'd like to do is show you what Seth Godin calls the access of discernment. And this leads us to our main picture this and our first picture this sermon. And in the access, it shows us four different ways that we can relate to the world, three of which are not so good and one of which is amazing. And that one way is the way of the linchpin. And the reason I want to show you three bad ways and one good way is because what Jesus says, look what he says, but if a salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? You know what Jesus saying that it is possible to lose your saltiness. It is possible to be a light that doesn't shine. It's possible to lose the things that make us us. And it's possible to like not be valuable. And I've found that it is so easy For people to move from being salt and light to being totally ineffective. 
And I have found that it's easy for us to choose ways of living that would keep us from showing up in the world in a way that's meaningful. It's easy for smart, intelligent go-getters not to become the linchpin that they were designed to be, that God designed them to be. Instead, they would shrink back and they become something else. And so without a further ado, I'm going to put it up on the screen. Here you go. I don't know if my hands did that. This isn't magic. This isn't the future. It's just 2020. So you have this, you, uh, you have this, uh, this little axis here, and, uh, and, and you see discernment and attachment. Do you see that there? And if you're filling it out, you can fill it out um, along the way. And so at the top is discernment. How am I defining discernment? Uh, discernment is the quality of being able to grasp or comprehend what is obscure and an act of perceiving or discerning something. So discernment is kind of the direction you want to go. But on the other side, at the bottom, is attachment. And attachment would be the opposite of discernment. It'd be, in, in, in short, it'd be, I am attached to things being this way. It has to look this way. It has to feel this way. It's either my way or the highway. My worldview, how I see it is right, and how you see everything is completely wrong. Mine. It's all mine. If only the world was filled with more of me, the world would be a wonderful place, right? That's the idea of attachment. Me, me, me. But discernment has a distance, a little bit of distance that allows you to see things from different perspectives. And so that leads us to our first quadrant in the bottom right. The first way you can become not salt and not light is to become a fundamentalist zealot. Fundamentalist zealot. The bottom right is the fundamentalist zealot. This is a person who is attached to the world as he sees it. There's no openness. There's no discernment. Change is a threat. Uh, curiosity is a threat. Uh, competition is a threat. And it's difficult to, for this person to see the world as it is because he insists on the world being exactly how he imagines it. And at the same time, uh, he still has a huge reservoir, a huge amount of energy to invest in maintaining his own worldview. The fundamentalist zealot always manages to make the world smaller, to make the world poorer, and to make the world a little bit meaner. Now, we know what that means today. Maybe you've run across someone who is like really set in their worldview and how the world should be. Jesus also ran into these people too. There was many types of zealots in Jesus' day. There was actual zealots. In fact, one of Jesus' own disciples was named Simon the Zealot. And Simon the Zealot would do things that were very extreme. They were trying to upheave the Roman rule. So they would do very extreme things. And uh, also, on the other hand, there was the Pharisees. The Pharisees were fundamentalist in a certain way where they would only welcome a certain kind of person into their group. They were exclusive. They said, if you wanted to relate to God, it had to be done in this specific way. We see this today. It is possible to diminish your, your ability to be soft, your, to diminish your ability to be light by acting as a fundamentalist zealot. Now let's go up to the top left corner and we have another slide. And that would be the bureaucrat. Now, the exact opposite of a fundamentalist zealot would be the bureaucrat. 
The bureaucrat is not attached to anything or the outcome of events, and he definitely won't be exerting any effort. But regardless, the bureaucrat is a passionless rule follower, indifferent to the external events that may be taking place around us. The best way to describe a bureaucrat is uh, maybe your experience at the DMV. You go to the DMV and they just look at you and they, 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 the life is drained from their eyes. And they're like, yes, you get a license. No, you don't. You forgot to mark the thing with the thing. And I, you know, not that I've been to the DMV here, but it's awesome. And, uh, and I've just, it's all this whole group of people. It's a whole thing. Anyway, I'll talk about it another time. But the DMV, there's, there's a passionless, bureaucratic, we have to do it this way. Or you imagine a VP of a company, of a publicly traded company that's just totally exhausted, just doing what the VP needs to do to get through the day. Now, in Jesus' time... Bureaucrats would have been the high priests. High priests were different from Pharisees. Pharisees were religious and very fundamental, but the high priests, on the other hand, they were the political leaders. They didn't want to ruffle any feathers. They wanted to hold things together. And so they were often the go-between between the Roman people, the Roman occupiers and the Jewish people. They don't want to stir anything up. They just want to get through it and not have any trouble. How many people do we know sometimes who operate as bureaucrats. We don't really want to engage. We just want to go through the motions and just follow the rules. One way to be ineffective in this world is to be a bureaucrat. So what's the third way? This is the third way. This seems to be the most popular right now, I think, in our culture, uh, at least here uh, in Los Angeles, in my opinion. And the bottom one, bottom left, is the whiners. The whiners. The whiner is different because the whiner has a lot of attachment, but it's not a, much of a rule follower, okay? So he's extremely attached to the worldview that he's bought into. He's living a life in fear of change, but the whiner can't muster up the effort to make a difference, to make a change. We know what this looks like. And Jesus knew what this looked like too. There were whiners. There's all these verses where people would complain about what he was doing or what he was not doing, or they're complaining about the Romans or how the Jewish uh, society was working as a whole. And we know what whiners are today too. It's so much easier for people to go online and write a little post about what they think about what should happen with the government or what they should happen with church. And I have a problem with this and a problem with that. And they sit back, but they have no energy to do anything whatsoever. You can just imagine them working on their little laptops in their mom's basement with a cigarette. And they're just like, ah, oh, this will get them. So, and, you know, and, and that's what whiners do. Whiners are another way that will render you ineffective, that will keep you. It's not the way to be salt and light. It's not the way of the linchpin. It's not something that brings value to the world. And so there you have it. You have three different groups that are not so good. You could be, on the one hand, very attached to your worldview and very driven to make everyone follow it. That would be the fundamental zealot. You could be the bureaucrat who, like, I just follow the rules uh, and I don't make a difference really. Or you could just sit back and complain and be a whiner and say, my way or the highway, but I have no ability to invest in anything and make a difference in any way whatsoever. But as soon as you try, I will complain about what you do too. Three different ways of living. But on the top right, you see something different. This is a person who lives in the discernment and the passion quadrant. This is the linchpin. 
The linchpin is enlightened enough to see the world as it actually is. The linchpin understands that the angry person who they're dealing with, what they're angry about in the moment might not be exactly what they're really angry about. The linchpin understands that the government policy change in this particular area isn't a personal attack on them. The linchpin understands that, hey, I've got this job for now, but I might not have it forever. And at the same time, the linchpin brings the right kind of passion. They have passion for the things that have been given to them. They have passion for the things that are right in front of them that are obvious. And they do the obvious things that need to be done. And the linchpin knows that the right amount of effort in the right place can actually change the outcome. And she reserves her effort for doing just that. The linchpin doesn't have time for whiners. The linchpin doesn't have time for litigation. Instead, she's obsessively focused on the projects and the people that have the likelihood of changing the outcome. Jesus was, in fact, the ultimate linchpin. Jesus engaged the world as a linchpin. He engaged the world as light and salt. Jesus was not a fundamentalist zealot pushing for a narrowly exclusive way to relate to God. Jesus was not a bureaucrat, just passionless, just passively obeying the rules to get through the day. And Jesus wasn't a whiner that complained about how things were in the good old days, even though that nostalgia wasn't really real. He just didn't sit back and say, man, Peter, this is the worst. He got up and he did something different. He used discernment and he uses passion. Jesus challenged the status quo. Throughout the scriptures, we see that this thesis, this salt and light thesis is everywhere in all four of the gospels. He emphasized relationship over religion. He challenged the Pharisees and said, look, you believe all the right things, you behave in all the right ways, and you serve your hearts out. But guess what? Your heart is far away from God. I am interested in a relationship with you. Jesus challenged the passivity for standing up for what was right, even though other people didn't. Jesus stood up for justice when other people were just happy to just live with injustice. And Jesus just didn't whine about it. He didn't whine about the problems. Man, there's all these sick people here. He would get up and he would do something about it. You know, expression, don't just talk about it, be about it. Jesus was about it. So Jesus, at the end of the day, there's these stories about Jesus where like, uh, the whole town would come out to him and he would heal all the sick people. Do you know what that is? Do you know what the equivalent of that is? It's like the equivalent of Jesus heading down to the UCLA Med Center and he's like, okay, we're just going to clear this bad boy out. And he goes through the room. Okay, you're healed. You're healed. Oh, you're on your deathbed? Not on your deathbed. And they pop up. They're like, hey, do you want a meal? And like they would give him, so you'd take him. And he's like, yeah, I'll take a meal. And so then he would go down the room after room. There's people that are ripping out IVs and the whole hospital just completely empties out. What would that do? That would upend a little bit of uh, the healthcare system, wouldn't it? That would be very challenging for people to deal with if that happened here and now. And Jesus was doing that. He was engaging in a way that mattered. And ultimately, what we see from Jesus' life is that he challenged us and showed us a different way of living by dying on the cross in our place for our sins. And he took on death and sin and defeated it. And for those of us 
who want to experience that, we get to experience the indispensable linchpin by dealing with the thing that we couldn't deal with ourselves, which is our own sin and our own brokenness. And so, what does it mean for you and I to be salt and light? What does it mean for us to be linchpins? What does it, what does it mean for us to engage the world that isn't bureaucratic or just self-righteous or you just sit back and what? How do we actually engage this world or how do we actually become the linchpin that God has designed us to be? Well, here's what it is. Your life looks qualitatively different Because the power of God is living in you. That is the only way for you to become a linchpin in 2020. It is the way Jesus was setting up for us that as we turn to him, that as we welcome his power and his presence, he begins to change us. And his, his, it starts with love. He doesn't just give us power to go clear out hospitals. He starts by changing our hearts. He warms our hearts. So that we start to love people differently. Did you know when you are starting to become a linchpin, you can look at someone you don't like, but you can still love them. I know that doesn't apply. We love everyone. Ah. But like, let's be honest. There's people that you have in your life that are difficult. And the linchpin is able to love. The linchpin is able to step in and say, I see you. And the reason the linchpin can do that is because the power of God is giving it to him. Power of God is giving it to her. So, have you ever been around someone who just shines? They just sparkle. And I don't mean the, like those high school cheerleaders doing the, they're like, yeah, they're like, show. And they're like, do the thing. And you're like, like a real, like a deeper sense of shine that, that goes beyond whatever they do on their faces and all stuff. Maybe it was a teacher. Maybe you had a professor, maybe it was a parent or maybe a sibling, maybe like it was a pastor or another ministry leader, but, but they just, they had this shining essence about them. The essence of who they were inspired others. They're, they had this willingness uh, to have courage and to be kind. They, they would step into situations that were difficult And they would say the truth, but they would do it with a level of empathy and kindness. Uh, Maybe this person, they had a sense of discernment and cool-headedness in the face of opposition. Or when others were anxious, people would rally around this person because they were a sense of non-anxiousness. Have you ever been around someone like that? Jesus was that kind of person. Jesus offers us that kind of power. And just because you had a person in your life doesn't mean you can't become that person in your own life and for others. You can become that person. You are invited to be a linchpin. You are invited in 2020 to be a person who shines. You are invited to stand up and say, world, there is a God who loves me and he loves you. And if you'll let him, he will change you and transform you into the better. How do I know? Look at my life. He did the unbelievable thing by dying in our place. And you get to experience that if you want to, world. And then after you say that, you are welcomed. You are invited to demonstrate the real Jesus by living your real life in such a way that shows people that you are different. 
The difference between just doing good in the world this year and doing what Jesus has for you is that doing good in the world will probably last you about two weeks, but doing the thing that when you invite God's power and presence into your life, you will sustain for years and years and years. I look at some people around this room. They have been following Jesus for years, and it's not because they're that good. It's because he's that good. I, I should probably say it about myself too, but like, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm just going to say about the people I'm thinking about. They, the reason they continue to be effective, the reason they continue to be salt and light, the reason they can be a linchpin and stand up and be indispensable, why people are attracted to them isn't because they're all that good. It's not because they're amazing at this, that, or the other. It's because Jesus, his power is doing something in them. Jesus followers, we are called to be different. And if you're not a Jesus follower here, don't worry about this. You can, you're off the hook today. But if you're a Jesus follower, we're, active, we're called to think differently, to act differently, to interact with people who are different from us differently, all because the power of God is living in us. Here's what it also means. You're invited to become a person who people, when you enter a room, when you come into this room or you go to a party, when you walk into that room, people are really excited to see you. They're like, oh yeah, you're here. I'm so glad you're here. And when you leave, they're just a little bit sad to see you go. Man, you're leaving. Well, I think we should all probably head out. You get to be that person. There, there's something qualitatively different about you that's indispensable, that's necessary, that you're the, when you're there, people want to be there. And when you're not there, people are like, oh, man, this is a bummer. It's your, you're such a delight to be around. You are so positive. There's, a, there's an energy to you. You are invited as a linchpin to be salt and light, to be the kind of person that when you exist in the world, you find that people are seeking your advice. People are coming to you and say, hey, I've got a question. And the reason they come to you is because you give really good advice. And the reason they come to you is because you show empathy. You deploy empathy. You try to understand what they're saying. The reason they come to you is because you've turned out to be a really good listener. You actually hear what they say and you engage in active listening and you go, did you mean this or did you mean this? And you actually start to understand what they're saying. And then from your power that you've received from God and from all your life experiences, they come together in a moment and you regularly and consistently advise people and give them advice that changes and shapes their life. Don't you want that? There's people in your life that are dying right now. There's people in your life who don't have someone that's giving them good advice. What if you were that person in 2020? You are invited to do that. Um, you're invited to do your job with integrity. Now, how do we define integrity here? Integrity is doing what you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do it. And doing it in the manner that it's supposed to be done. Can you imagine if a bunch of Christians, Jesus followers, would just do those three things? What would that do to like Los Angeles? What would that do to your career? Not to mention, like, we don't use God to move up the ladder. But, like, literally, if you just do what you say you're doing, when you're going to do it, when doing it in the manner it's supposed to be done, you'll probably just go up the ladder. I mean, my wife would be an example. Hey, nice job this year. Uh, but, like, she constantly says this. She goes, listen, if, like, my employees would just do what they say they're going to do, when they say they're going to do it, doing it in the manner it's supposed to be done, they would be doing better than they actually are. You're invited to do that. You're invited to show up a little bit early. You're invited to have empathy for your boss and say, how do I 
take on the uh, aspects of like, no, I don't want to be the owner, but how do I have the owner's mindset? How do I think about what the boss needs and help them with what they need? And how do I, when people are gossiping around the office, how do I shut that down and just stay focused on my work? How do I deliver work that's really good on time every time? You're invited to be that. You're invited to become that. And you can't do it without the power of God. God's power is invite is is welcome isn't uh, God's power is for you for these things, and not only are you invited to do that in your work and in your relationships, you're also invited to do that in this church. I mean, a linchpin isn't going to sit back and worry like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they're doing this. And that. The linchpin will engage in what's available in this church. The linchpin won't complain about what's not happening, but the linchpin will jump in and say, hey, I see someone across the room. It doesn't look like they know anybody. I'm going to do my very best to be really normal. And I'm going to go over and say hello. <laughs> well, there's two ways to do that. Like, because sometimes when you give these messages, someone's like, oh, I'm going to go do it. And they go, hey, I'm really guilty of this. Uh, so maybe you were new at one time and I met you and it's really awkward. And um, that's just me. But like, how do I engage with people that need to be engaged with? How do I build relationships that matter? How do I invest in people in this community? You're invited to be a linchpin. You're invited to be salt. You're invited to be light. We get to do this. And the way we do this is we invite God's power and presence into our lives. That is the way. Now, we didn't go into it this much. We just covered the salt and light verses. But Jesus is consistently telling his people that he doesn't do anything that he doesn't see the father doing. And Jesus regularly spent time away praying and asking God, his father to fill him up with what he needed. How much more do you and I need to be pausing every day as often as we can. And on this Sunday saying, God, fill us with your power. God, give us eyes to see what you're doing. God, allow us to step in and become indispensable in a very dispensable world. Amen? Why don't we all stand?